Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm looking at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And let me just read that again for you, just, just for your own sake to hear it. Paul said, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Wow, so there's a temptation uh, to think that it takes a certain amount of worthiness to stand up here and say something meaningful from God's word, to think that, you know, that, that any of us that share that must, we must have earned the right somehow to be worthy of the station or worthy of the opportunity, uh, but I'm not worthy on my own. Called, equipped, ordained, yes, but worthy only by utter dependence on God. And I feel no more worthy, especially in this reading of Paul's word, to say anything um, meaningful. Paul says, I could wish that I myself were accursed. He says, I could wish that I were cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people. I'm not sure that I can say that. Um, I'm selfish enough with my own comfortable way of living, but loving someone else so selflessly that for their sake, I would give up my eternal hope of life with Christ. To be quite candid with you, I, I I don't like what Paul says here uh, because it forces me to ask that question of myself. Do I wish that I myself were cut off from Christ if that meant the salvation of others? Really? Brass tacks, day in and day out, what do my life and words and ways say about my heart's desire for those who don't fully know and embrace the hope and love of Christ? What in the depths of my soul and being is my greatest desire for you? What in the depths of my soul and being is my greatest desire for others? Or in, in those depths, does God still need to do a big work of rooting out me? Welcome to church. I'll read this again, and this time from the New Living Translation. Here's how it reads. Paul says that my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. Now, it's, it's likely that Paul had Moses in mind when he said this, and in that case, his audience, full of faithful Jewish people, would have thought of Moses when he said it. You see, when God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, they became restless and rebellious in the transition, in, in this waiting to move into the promised land. And th when they began to question Moses' leadership over them, they convinced another leader. While Moses was away, they convinced Aaron to melt down their gold, and out came a golden calf that they could then worship. And Moses pleaded for God's mercy over them, that God wouldn't unleash his punishment 
and his judgment. And he said to God, he said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They've made gods of gold for themselves. But now if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. Other translations say, blot out my name from your book. And similarly here, Paul is preaching to these unbelieving Jews, and he's, he's kind of hearkening back to Moses as if to say, remember, remember how in their disgrace, in their idolatry, in, in how they missed it completely, how Moses put not just his body and breath, but his eternal life on the line for God's chosen people. If I could, Paul seems to say, if I could, if I knew that God would take my eternal life and save you from your hard and rebellious hearts, I would do that for you because you are still God's chosen people. Let me ask you, has anyone ever loved you that much? Or have you ever loved anyone that much? I, I think I'm so deeply convicted by Paul's words here because when I think about eternal life and I, I think about living in, in the fullness and the hope of a new creation, when I think about a body that doesn't fail, um, unending joy, peace everlasting, love that's unhindered, creation and beauty that is beyond measure. I don't know that in my heart of hearts, if I'm looking from side to side and wondering about who's missing out and thinking that I'd be willing to give all of that up for them, would you? Now, to be clear, God wouldn't agree to this anyway. See, we can all just let out a sigh of relief. Like, that's not what God is asking you to do. He didn't do it when Moses asked, and Paul is posing it as more of a hypothetical. If, if it could work this way, Paul says, I would do it. Paul's theology wouldn't allow for it because he just said in the letter that nothing can separate us from the love of God, and that nothing would include his own request to be separated from the love of God for the sake of others. So whether God would or wouldn't do it isn't the point. The point is that as we look back to the commission that Jesus gave to go and make disciples, as we look back to his command to love our neighbors as ourselves, as we look back to his command to love as he has loved us, the point is that our heart's desire is that others might embrace the life-changing, life-saving love of God that is in Christ, full stop. In other words, how far are you willing to go to give the gospel away? Now, I'd say that we have golden calves in our day and time that are so well masked in good things that we in the church often find ourselves not on Paul's and Moses' side of things in our desire, in our desire for God's salvation on the earth, but on the other side. And instead of drawing people to Christ, we often unintentionally promote a gospel of safe and comfortable and leisurely living. Now, I wanna be clear that I'm not saying that we should all go headfirst into danger and, and risk our lives for the sake of the gospel. Some people should and some people do. They're doing it right now across the world. And there may come a time when you and I are required to do that. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy the gifts of creation and recreation that we have, especially in our little corner of the world. It's a beautiful place. I think God delights in our enjoyment of it. God delights in our enjoyment of his creation. He delights in our Sabbath play 
in our Sabbath rest, in our Sabbath leisure. But what I am saying is that the gospel demands more than occasional acknowledgement. It demands more than just a little bit, more than a portion of our life or just a portion of our energy and time and heart. It demands the entirety of our lives. The way that we live and move, the way that we work out our relationships, the way that we drive, it's a hard one, the way that we work our jobs, the way that we study for school, the way that we um, speak to our spouses, the way that we speak to our children, the way that we do all of it. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And, and another way to translate that word deny from the Greek is to utterly disown. In other words, Jesus says that in following him, we cannot just bring a little bit. It is complete surrender. So I want to be clear on this point too, that there are some things in scripture that are prescriptive, meaning that they were meant to be instructive or prescriptive for the original audience. And of course, of those things, there are some things that make their way across space and time and apply to us as well. Some texts, though, are descriptive in that they describe a person or event. For instance, the book of Acts is, is a descriptive of the beginnings of the church, but it isn't necessarily prescriptive for us. Are y'all with me on that? So I don't believe that, what, that we should take what Paul says here as prescriptive. And, and we don't have to be willing to, to stake our eternal life for the sake of others. And as I said, that isn't something that God has done or will do. So instead, what I would suggest is that we admire it. We admire what is described here because what is described here is an example of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's an example of the power of the Holy Spirit on the conscience of a person who actually used to persecute Christians. Paul didn't just stop. He didn't just turn and stop persecuting Christians, pursuing them to their deaths. But God did much more in that he stopped Paul and then he drew Paul in to the heart of himself so that this Pharisee who once nodded with approval at the murder of Christians would now plead his very life and hope that those of his former order and people might know Christ. So back to what I was saying about the gospel demanding everything of us, you know, Christians, we so often think in terms of, of loss, you know, what, what am I losing out on in this? And of, uh, what do I lose out on for the sake of following Christ? And there, there is indeed a cost of discipleship. I don't want to deny that. There is a cost. But when we receive the Holy Spirit, and when God begins to do new works in our old ways, there is no limit to how far our hearts can stretch and our hands can reach for the sake of others. The gospel demands, yes, and yet what we receive in turn cannot be quantified and it cannot be qualified because it belongs in the realm of the eternal. So in the face of, of the difficulties of this life and in the face of our doubts and, and unbelief, in the face of the doubts and the unbelief that we face in, in our world and in the people around us, we endure. We endure in the face of limitations. 
I told you, I'm not where Paul is. So Lynn and I welcomed in two foster babies into our home a few weeks ago. And I use that term welcomed loosely because I'll be painfully honest with you here. I don't like giving up my life and my ways and my time and energy and my home for them. I say that with some pain. I don't like it. It stinks figuratively and literally. It stinks. And you know what? Here's a confession for you. At times, at times, much less does my heart extend to a bunch of adults who are hard-hearted and don't want to live out, you know, the gospel of Christ. And that's my job. It's my line of work. But thankfully, God is merciful and God is gracious and he is slow to anger and he's abounding in love. And by the Holy Spirit, I am equipped in my weakness. In fact, I'm more than equipped. The word says it, that it is in my weakness that his strength is displayed. And, and where I sink, you know, back, back to Peter, just thinking about that, that vision, that image of him sinking in the water, where I sink like Peter, where I fall through the water like Peter again and again and again, it is Jesus, the son of the living God, who reaches in and pulls me back into the boat and commands the storms to cease. I've been following Jesus for most of my life, imperfectly, of course, just like anyone else, but at 38, um, I'm finding on a near daily basis of more and more things I, I, I cannot do in which I am totally and utterly dependent on him. I have limitations. You, you have limitations. We all, we all do. There are ways in which I'm not equipped and paths that God has made clear are not for me to take. And the same is true for you. But please hear me when I say that it is only with a heart that is daily, and we should probably go even further as to say moment to moment, surrendered to God and with a heart that is located in a community of faith, in here, in the church, and belonging, that we can truly discern what he's calling us to do, or that we can truly discern where he's calling us to go, or who he's calling us to reach. And sometimes we'll get it wrong. And you know what? Maybe, maybe Lynn and I have gotten it wrong. But I know that even with the wrong decisions, God can take a faithful heart and make it worth more than we can imagine. He still works, he still moves, he still saves, he still pulls us into the boat, he is still the keeper and calmer of the storm, and nothing in this world, nothing you could ever do can change that or separate you from that. So even as you and I are unworthy, God in his mercy has awakened all of us here to this new morning, and he offers us the opportunity to be sent out of those doors and sent out to this community and to this world with his love and his heart for his people. Are you ready to see what he has in store? Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen.